broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. How long are you planning to stay in Reagan? Until she rots and lies stinking in the earth. What's that? Holy water. You keep it away. Ah, it burns! Ah, it burns! That was a scene from the 1973 classic motion picture, The Exorcist, based on the alleged true account of a possession of a little boy named Roland Doe. The incident occurred in Cottage City, Maryland in 1949. The fictional adaptation is a harrowing story of two Catholic priests fighting for the soul of a little girl consumed by an entity that claims to be the devil himself. These moments have been portrayed in fiction and folklore for many centuries, but what most don't know is that various forms of possession and exorcism are a common practice throughout many cultures in our modern day. Tonight's guest claims to look deep into the metaphysical history to cast out ancient demons. We'll hear her story after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media. All links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. Do you believe in ghosts? Not those cute cartoon ghosts that look like fluffy bedsheets, and not the dancing spirits you might see on a magic midsummer's night, but real ghosts. Big city ghosts. Foul, stinking, hostile troublemakers who don't have the decency to lie down when they're dead. Well, they're out there, and someone's got to stop them. It's a job for professionals. It's a job for the Ghostbusters. disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky, seas and rivers boiling. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. The brave, the best, the only Ghostbusters. 
starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, and Rick Moranis. Ghostbusters, coming to save the world this summer. We're ready to believe you. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano. And tonight's guest, Joy Wilburn, grew up on the south side of Chicago in a family devoted to faith. She now conducts her deliverance ministry in North Carolina, and she claims through a unique method to travel along the metaphysical timeline of the alleged possessed and release oppressive forces that limit and often destroy their host. Tonight we'll learn of her history, her methods, and personal crusade against evil forces. So here's my interview with Joy Wilburn. I was born on the south side of Chicago. That means a lot to some people, but I didn't really get out of the house a whole lot. Um, I was born in a Christian family. My dad, he was a street preacher, and not all his life. He was a um, he was in the streets before he before he was a street preacher, and uh, he just felt the need to reach the lost because he once was that person. And uh, my mom, she they met my mom and dad met in the choir at church. So like my whole foundation was church. Uh, my father even tried to form a little band out of us, the Carlos Five. <laughs> Oh, I, I sang. My older sister played the piano. My brother played the drums. And the younger two sisters sang as well. And uh, my dad was a drummer himself. So it was a pretty solid Christian background. I mean, almost the kids used to call us sanctified. I guess that was, you know, what we were. But the way they said it, it sounded like they were like hocking up something. <laughs> but this is why they did it because my mother like we were in the holiness church and so they were really strict about what you wore my mother was trying to follow the rules whatever the rules they were trying to make so we stayed in dresses in the city of chicago in the winter time it was terrible but um we got teased. Oh, why y'all wear dresses all the time? Y'all sanctified. It sounds like something succotash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, boy, the way they said it. But, but it's, like, yeah. it sounds like to me, even then you had the confidence to know where you were in life and how, how close your family was. Is confidence? No, man. <laughs> You didn't have that then? No, you just took what you were dished out, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but here's yeah. the thing. Like, you had mentioned your dad. And um, do you feel like most good people who find the light have to go through the darkness first? Well, the Bible says, uh, you know, who, if, and I'm not going to say it verbatim, but basically, the person, who's been through the most, you know, will love him the most. So 
Yeah, I get it. But my dad, he was on the brink. He was on the brink of death when he called on Jesus. So. And how do you, you know, how do you feel about that? Do you feel a person is stronger for that in the end and they have a better. I, I, uh, I never, I never, I always wanted to, like, I have a brother who played at the edge. Okay. He lived his life at the edge. I said, I don't have to go to, to the edge to get, to, to find, you know, the light. I'm going to use him as a good example of a really bad example. <laughs> <laughs> no, mm-mm. I didn't want to go through all that. No, I always try to walk the tightrope. And even growing up in the south side of Chicago, I'm sure you saw your share out there, no? Yes, I did. Even though my mother tried to shelter us, I did see a lot. Um, we learned, you know, power in the name of Jesus really, really early. Um, just going to school, you, you know, you learn how to call on Jesus if you are in a tight spot. I just remember one time, I don't remember calling on Jesus, but I do know there had to be an angel that saved me because they were doing construction by the school and they didn't have really good safety standards. So they had this ginormous hole dug out next to the school and as I was walking past the hole, I might have looked in or something like that. And somebody pushed me, tried to push me down into that giant hole. And I remember getting right to the edge and just stopping. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like there is no way I should have just stopped. I should have fallen in, but something stopped me. So you felt there was some kind of some kind of force field or some something that stopped you from actually falling in. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of miracles, you know, but I did know, like I said, I did know because I had to catch the bus. Well, first I, we walked to school and then uh, I did have to catch the bus to high school. Of course, when my younger sister went to school, miraculously, my dad started driving us. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to be mad at her. Um, they always thought she was frail. I don't know. Anyway, so I I remember, though, I, wore, or I was supposed to be wearing glasses. Of course, I didn't have them on because I was trying to be cute. But this guy, you know, said, hey, you want to ride? And I was like, I thought I recognized him. Not that that would have been any better in the south side of Chicago. But, you know, I was naive, you know. I jumped in this man's car and I remember him taking me to some two flat somewhere near 50 something street and not near my school. And uh, it might've been going to college. I'm not even sure, but I remember hopping in his car. I didn't know the guy. And he stopped by this building. He came out with a plat- with a paper bag. All I knew was I just injected Jesus in every car in every sentence I could. <laughs> and then he changed his mind. He whatever he was going to do to me, he changed his mind and dropped me off at the train station. Wow. I was like, "Thank you, God!" Like, even if you try to, even if you try to just live your best life, you know, things just come after you. You know. For sure. Yeah, I do. do. But do you, you know, it seems like between the construction pit that you almost fell in and that particular situation, that there was something perhaps divine 
protecting you. Do you feel that? Yeah, my dad used to pray for us every morning before we left the house because he worked nights, so he was kind of home when we left. So he would, uh, we would all join hands and pray before we left the house. So that was cool. I mean, he, it wasn't like all the time, like, but when he got to um, second shift, that's when he started doing that with us. So I felt like there was some kind of protection in that. And then one time in college, <laughs> I had final exams. I was so sleepy because I stayed up all night. And I was, uh, yeah, I stayed up all night. So I was exhausted by the time the tests were over. And now I'm taking the train back and forth to school because I lived at home in, uh, in Chicago. So I got on the bus after the test. I was so sleepy and I knew I was going to fall asleep on this bus. And I did. And I, I did notice a guy get on the bus. And out of all the empty seats on the bus, he sits next to me. But I was, again, so sleepy. I could just, I, I was wearing this this uh, hoodie, I guess, and it had the little pocket in the front. And I remember putting my little wallet bus pass in the front. And I squeezed my little backpack onto my stomach and just, you know, held it close because I knew I was going to fall asleep. So he's sitting next to me. Next thing I know, I feel these fingers wiggling on my stomach. Like this guy is trying to get to my wallet. And, you know, when you sleep, you're not really all there. But I woke up and I looked at him in the face. I said, how would you like me to go in your pocket? (laughs) (laughs) And I reached my hand in this man's pocket, in this crackhead's pocket. I was like, you want (laughs) Well, luckily, I was like, "What?" And I was like, "You want a dollar here? Here's a dollar." <laughs> and then I got off. I made it to my stop, and I got off the bus. And um, I I made it home anyway. I I, just, I made it home, and I told my dad what happened. He said, "I had a dream, and there was a man following one of my daughters, and and I guess he prayed for me, and when he saw the dream." But yeah, nothing happened to me. But I was scared after that, after the fact. <laughs> sure. Because you imagine what could have happened, you know? Right. I was like, oh my goodness, what if this guy comes back after me? <laughs> Did you always feel a certain amount of protection or safety because of your faith? I felt, you kind of feel like a sitting duck and you just hope. <laughs> I had a lot of hope. No, I didn't feel invincible because I lived with trouble. I lived with a, a troublesome brother. Um, there was always something coming at something operating through him that just disrupted the family constantly. And then um, there was bullying, you know, that I went through at school. And um, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, just a lot of negative negativity. And I, I did have a lot of low self-esteem. But, you know, my parents, they it, it was a bunch of us. It was five kids. So, you know, you kind of have your own club. You don't really need outsiders too much. Sure. At what point when, and it could have been any time as a little girl or a little bit older, did you recognize that some of the things you were learning through your faith were very real in terms of something demonic or or other world influences, you know, something much darker. Did you have any particular experience that really fully confirmed that for you? Mm, let me just tell you this. 
in the church I grew up with and into, they didn't really focus on the demonic. They just told you to be a good person, basically. They you read the Bible and you try to obey. And you know, there was a lot of a big focus on sin. And you know, I just tried not to sin. You know, you try to play the role, but it wasn't a really a focus on. I don't know, demonic influences. They didn't really focus on that. So they didn't really know how to handle my brother. And I'm going to just go ahead and tell you that story. So my brother, he was, I don't know how do you describe it, but the the arch nemesis of the family. <laughs> I mean, okay. Besides the fact that he was the only boy and he did boy stuff. Um, but there was something that always made him disrupt things. And so my parents, they worked, we were at home during the summer. And so we all had to like try to make it in the house, but he would do things and I would always rise up to the challenge. I would always, <laughs> I was a fighter of the family. Yeah, I, I did like, you're not going to get past me, buddy. I will die trying. I will, <laughs> I will go down swinging. And we fought all the time. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I wasn't really afraid of fighting. I mean, no, I was kind of afraid of fighting other people because I didn't think my brother would try to kill me. But at one point I felt like I could kill him. And I, I had to really like examine myself like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to have to back off because there's something in me that's really dangerous. And I was really, really young at that time. So, sure, but that reaction came from all the stuff he was doing to disrupt your life and the rest of your family. Yeah, but I picked up a whole axe. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up an axe. I'm like, where did this thing come from? I was like, I'm going to put up the axe. I'm going to put it over the fire. And I'm going to chop this dude. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> it was that bad. And then uh, I was like, you know what? If I do that, then he'll bleed. And I don't really want to see him bleed. So, no, let me put down the X. And so, but still, I knew that there was evil inside of me. I knew that. And, um, but there were kids in church who used to run to the altar all the time. I mean, we preached, they preached about heaven and hell. And if you die in your sins, you're going to hell. And, um, you know, I heard it all the time. But, you know, I wasn't worried because, I was a kid, you know, I was young, you know, sure. it couldn't happen to me. But, um, one day we had, one summer we had a dog and the dog ran out in the street and got killed. And oh. that was the first time death became real to me. Now, my dad was older when he had me, you know, he's 45 when he had me. My mom was, you know, in her thirties, I guess normal age, but you know, my dad being so old, they had friends in church and I would say they were always dying every time the phone rang we were like okay who died <laughs> and that wasn't it wasn't funny but it, you know we had we made a joke out of everything like okay who died who died it was like every time the phone would ring somebody died so I figured okay death is for old people but when my dog died he was like one of us you know one of the kids to me and so that's when death became real to me and that's when I tapped my mom 
and asked her to come and pray with me so I can receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And at the age of nine, I tried to live right. I tried to live holy. I tried to read my Bible. You know, I was really trying to do this thing for real because I was like, I am not going to be one of them kids running back and forth to the altar, you know, just doing it because they're scared. I'm not doing this thing out of fear. But <laughs> but um, I, I had my own revelation, you know, from God and uh, of what death was. And I was like, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. But uh-uh, I'm not even trying to go. No. Mm-mm. So I gave my life to the Lord then. And was life perfect? No. I still went through things. And, um, but I just blindly trusted God. So I, my mantra was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean, lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So I'm like, okay, I don't know it all, but I know God loves me and I'm going to trust him even blindly through everything. So the challenge came when my mother got sick. Well, first, first my brother, he did something stupid and got arrested, went to jail. That threw my mother into a depression And next thing you know, she's having pains in her side and then she's diagnosed with cancer. And she died not too many months after that. So like between December and July, she died, you know, diagnosed, died. And so, yeah, so it it was like that. Now that rocked my faith. I talk about that in my book, Removing the Barriers to Healing. That rocked my faith. Like, okay, everything they taught me in this church, I'm about to question. This whole religion, like, like what in the world? What were we doing all this stuff for? What was I wearing all these dresses for? Why would we didn't go to the movies? We only went roller skating our Christian gospel night. We didn't go to the bowling alley. Like, they didn't take us many places. We did hit all the touristy spots in Chicago the museums, the conservatories. But, you know, as far as like regular entertainment, no, we didn't do all that. And I was like, what did we do all that for? (laughs) What was that all that? You know, like, I missed out on all that for what? So I, yeah, I said, okay, God, I believe that the Bible is true. Whether or not things worked out for me or not, I still believe, I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to believe God is real. Because I had seen prayer requests get answered for me before. So I just said, okay, it's me and you, God. And it was at my mother's funeral that I heard God speak to me. It was more like a, a you know, heavy, impressed thought, not voice, but the thought came your mother was your coach, she trained you, and now it's time to go. You know, you're, you're ready. It's time to go. And, and I, at that moment, I knew that I was going to leave Chicago. So I finished school first because I didn't know what to do. You know, I had no other options. So I was in school for mechanical engineering, which was really hard to go from this scientific hardcore curriculum 
you know, and, and then believing in a God you can't see. So it's like a tug of war. Sure. It's completely two different perspectives uh, merging. Completely. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to park the whole logic thing on the shelf because I was extremely logical and analytical. So I just took a leap of faith and just parked that on the shelf and just trusted that God was going to prove himself to me. But I always had a disdain for religion. I recognize a lot of stuff that we did was just plain religious. It was just, just even down to just being in church all the time, you know, like we weren't, it was just more like punching the clock and it was great. Yes. They loved the Lord, but did we really have to be there all the time? Couldn't we have developed in other areas of life? So I started questioning everything religious. And to this day, I can't stand religion. <laughs> just And what I mean by religion is just doing things out of ritual. I can't stand it. Sure. Can So where you are now is this kind of really truthful, uh, direct relationship with an energy, with God, with your own personal faith and what your problem or the, 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 the disdain that you have is for people just kind of ritualistically going through motions without ever really adhering to the, to the heart of it. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. It's like they don't really, they didn't really know who God was. I mean, God is, he's real. He's a person and he loves me. And so just coming out of that religious background, even even while my mother, well, no, that whole walk, like college, I started, I had two years of college with my mother alive. And then it took me longer to get out because I was an engineer student. Plus, I didn't think I was that smart. So basically, it took me about six years total. So I have four years of college after my mother passed. And um, just that whole time, I had to really get to know God for myself, mainly like after my mother passed. But um, one one testimony that I do have is when I was eleven. Now this was she was still she was still alive, and I used to say, "No, my my sister was angry with me for some reason. I can't remember. I'm, maybe I did something, but she was kind of vindictive." But um, that particular morning was gym day. You didn't have gym every day of the week. It might've been one day of the week or even twice a week, but it wasn't every day because I lived in the hood. So you're supposed to dress out. And I had to find my little sneakers, which we call gym shoes. And I couldn't find it. I searched my whole area. Uh, like we had a little basement apartment we used to rent out. And so we, me and my sister lived down there. So I'm walking around the apartment, looking at every room, can't find the shoe. So I said, okay, I remember the testimony of this 15-year-old boy talking about his encounter with God. I'm going to pray and ask God. I said, okay, God, if you're real, <laughs> I need you to find this shoe. <laughs> so, and then I thought, I thought about the verse, ask and it shall be given unto you. I'm like, okay, I checked that box. I asked. And then the verse, the verse says, seek and ye shall find. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to look because I was just really literal. I'm just a little kid. You know, I'm 11. I'm like, okay, we're going to take this Bible step by step, literally. So I walked around the apartment. I started at the bathroom, walked around and then came, ended up back into the same spot. And I kept looking in the bathroom. So I went around once, no shoe. 
went around twice, no shoe. And I just stood there. The third time I went around the whole apartment and came back to the bathroom, my eyes looked at the garbage can, which was the only thing in the, in the bathroom, you know, that you can move around. The trash can is there. I looked at the trash can. It was full of garbage. And I went and pulled the trash out and my shoe was under the trash. And I was like, there is a God. <laughs> How would I know that that shoe is under the trash? You can't see through the trash can. You know, it was, a, it was not a clear can. And the trash was totally covering the shoe. And I had looked in that bathroom three different, two different times before. So I was like, whoa, God answered my prayer. Oh my goodness. That was a major turning point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel like people kind of brush these things off as coincidences when they do happen or, you know, cause there are, or are they messages from some other place to let us know that there is guidance, that there are things that are trying to help us, other forces. Oh no. See, God to me was not a force. He was a person and it, we had a personal relationship and, but you know, I didn't hear from God all the time. I did read his, read the Bible, which I didn't understand really was, you know, the voice of God. But t- when I found that shoe, I knew God answered my prayer, not an energy, but a person. Like he showed me where that shoe was. So from there, I, th- it's like, I piggybacked off of that experience years later. Now that happened, let me see, I was 11. So years later, I was like around the age of 28, 27, 28 years old. And I was married at the time. My husband was delivering pizza. We had just moved to Raleigh. He was delivering pizza. And one night I was looking at our picture. We were still, we were newlyweds, had only been together a year. I was looking at his picture and I was, and I started imagining him in a casket and I started praying. Yeah. So I started praying like, Lord, just protect him wherever he is and bring him home safe. Right after I said that prayer, the phone rang and it was him. He had just been robbed at gunpoint. And he said the guy snatched his keys and, uh, and ran off with him. He needed me to come and get him. So it wasn't too far away. It was like um, an apartment complex about a five-minute drive away. So I drove over there, picked him up, and I said, and we stayed home. It was a, it was a Saturday night this happened. So Sunday we stayed home from church. And I said, like, well, I guess we need to get our locks changed and everything. So I went out for a walk, and I said, you know what, God? Let's have an adventure. I want you to show me where those keys are. <laughs> Because I like to continuously like ping God. Okay, I need you to like just affirm that you're you're still here and you're still with me. So let's go find these keys. Now, I knew the complex my husband was at. So I, I walked over there. And when I got on the property, I got really quiet. I said, okay. You know, I was just basically testing my testing to see if I could hear from God. Sure. So, and I never really heard a voice, but. I would get these impressions I'm like, okay. And I would like hear, okay. He said the guy ran behind the pool and uh, I was like, okay, so where's the pool area? 
No, he said the guy ran. He was somewhere. Anyway, I thought I remember hearing pool. So I uh, walked over, you know, found this pool location. I don't live there now. So I'm just there walking around to a place I've never been before. So I'm walking around and I found the pool area. And I mean, I just kept hearing the key through the keys in the pool. He threw the keys in the pool. And, uh, and I walked towards the pool. You know, of course, it has a big fence around it. And then I'm at one side of the pool. I didn't see anything. Then I walked to the another, another side of the pool. You know, the gate is like rectangular around the pool. So I went to the another side of the gate looking through and I didn't see anything. I went to the third side of the gate and I saw something shiny. And I was like, is that it? And I hopped the fence or I think I, I'm not sure if I hopped the fence or went through the gate, but I got in there in the pool area and those, there were the keys. The guy, you know, yeah, I was like, oh yes, I can hear from God. I can hear from God. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like God is a spirit. You can't see him, you know, and I'm like very, very visual. So I need signs. I don't know about everybody else, but I need, I need signs. Okay. So these, these were confirmations for you, and it fortified everything. At what point did you feel like there were much darker things inhabiting other people, and maybe you could combat that? Well, like I said, I grew up fighting my brother. and He was pretty evil to me. <laughs> so I was always a fighter. I was always a fighter. Um I never thought of it like that. And I think just coming from Chicago, I really like a good fight. <laughs> I think so. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> no, and that's, again, it makes sense. And I think a lot of people who have who have battled for in the name of religion in the past felt the same way, one way or another, you know, whether it be um, a holy war or an exorcism, or whatever it may be. I think they all had a, a very similar perspective. I don't know. I don't know. I never, I mean, like I said, I never really fought outside the house. Because um, I knew I really, I couldn't really, I, I didn't have the confidence that I would win any fight outside the house. But in my, inside of my house, I didn't care. I was going to fight to the death. <laughs> now, I, ha I have to ask this question. At that time, or by that time, or any time in your childhood, or in your teenage years, college years, did you ever see this, um, the kind of thing that you have to deal with in life and have been fighting in movies? Did you watch any, you know, darker horror films, uh, The Exorcist, stuff like well, that? Well, no, I, I didn't really watch those movies because I know they were like super evil, but I mean, Tales of the Crypt came on, but I think I turned that too. <laughs> I don't remember watching Tales of the Crypt. I did, however, love Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo was my jam. And, you know, because they were always trying to, it was always ghosts and you had to figure out, you know, what was behind this, this evil. And then um, Ghostbusters was the very first movie that I saw in the movie theater. And I did not know that that's really what I was going to turn out to be a whole Ghostbuster, but it just, cause my parents did not let us go to movies. But when I got to college, finally I had some freedom. Well, at least I did it anyway. I didn't have to, I didn't ask for permission. I just did stuff. 
And so if I had a little money in my pocket, I would just go. So yeah, I went to see Ghostbusters and I turned out to be a Ghostbuster. It was a sign. <laughs> it was a whole sign. But my brother was the one that was really like having all these supernatural experiences. He'd be screaming out in the middle of the night. My parents would have to go and pray for him. And they would always like put a Bible up under his bed. And it was just, he was the the one, yeah, he was the one that, oh, but I do remember the story. My brother ran away from home. He was always, he was a wayward child. He was a wayward child. Eventually he did end up getting on drugs and, um, you know, and like I said, getting in trouble and going to jail. Um, He seems to be fine now, but um, of course he's an old man. (laughs) But anyway, um, my brother ran away from home and my mother got on the phone with her uh, praying friends. Lord, sick the bloodhounds on them. I was like, ooh, what's a bloodhound? <laughs> I was little. I might have been like six, six, six years old, maybe seven um, or maybe even four. I can't remember, but I was very young. And I remember my brother coming home that night and he said some dogs chased him home. I was like, whoa, these people can pray. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what brought him back to the house is he was chased back by dogs. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really interesting. I know, right? These people could pray, boy. They could pray down heaven. (sighs) So essentially, you grew up around with a brother that may have been possessed. Exactly. And then I I've came in contact with a cousin years and years later. And she said, ever since he was a baby, 18 months old, he was picking, picking, picking with your sister. And um, I was like, really? Yeah. So he was definitely possessed from birth. Okay. So because no one else in the family... None of your other siblings had to deal were, were like that. It was him. He seemed to be singled out by whatever this was that was making him yeah. behave that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my parents did not know how to handle it. Do you see okay, so let's let's go forward to, to the place where you felt, I would say, compelled or confident enough to start helping other people that were in your brother's you know, similar predicament. I met a young lady who was like 18. She had escaped an abusive relationship with her dad and he threatened to rape her when she turned 18. So she ran away and came to North Carolina. But then she turned around and got beat up or something by an uncle right after a surgery. Like she was really under attack. This Whatever was on her was chasing her. Wow. So I said, well, I have to do something about this girl. And I'm going to help her get an apartment. I need to do a fundraiser. So I sat down in front of the phone with my mail, with my list. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I got a, call, a phone call from a friend in college. And she said, and I said, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about doing a fundraiser for somebody who needs help. And she said, I can help. I'm going to call. I can call people at the school and, and we can try to get things for her. And I was like, Really? Oh, okay. So then I start calling on my friends and I start getting donations, $100 here, $50 there. 
I even went to the church that we attended and I met with the pastor with her and um, they even wrote out a check for her. And in seven days, I raised enough money for two months rent plus security deposit plus tires for her car. We got food, her her pantry fully stocked with food and um, donated furniture. It was just a miracle. A miracle just unfolded. And it was right after that, I said, wow, I feel like God is about to do something for me. And he got me a job doubling my salary right after that. <laughs> and then that's when we got approved for the house. That, and it's all amazing because if you if you look at your timeline and all of these things, you know, large and small that you had asked for signs, if you were to tell somebody who doubts by nature, they just, you know, they won't even open the door for to consider it. Wh- what could you tell them in short that might make them consider? Always ask for a sign. Just always ask for a sign. God, he wants to prove himself to you. So the, the last sign with this house thing, after we closed on the house, the girl that I helped answered the phone at the warranty department when I needed help. I'm like, when did you start working here? She had just started working there. And it was so weird. And God let me know it was because it, because I helped put a roof over her head. He put a roof over mine. And her answering the phone was confirmation. So I'm I'm a physical, visual person. I always ask for a sign. Always ask for a sign. And do you feel, you know, that energy is reciprocated when you're helping others and not and not in a dishonest way, not in a way where you're going to expect something, but just it's from the heart. So it's where where you're giving that energy comes back to you. Do you feel that? Yeah, yeah. Well, the Bible teaches you, you know, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And there are people who don't even believe in that verse who know that you have to give if you're going to receive. And you don't always get it from the channels that you give it into. So the whole, that's, a, that not, and so another part of religion, you know, is the whole tithing thing. Now, I believe tithing is in, in the Bible. But I didn't really see people getting major breakthroughs in their finances in church. But, you know, people stayed afloat. People lived lives. And but those big, big, fat breakthroughs, I didn't see those. So I I noticed there's a the way people started teaching on tithing in the prosperity gospel movement. It was always about put more money in the offering plate and you'll get blessed. And that is not what happened to me. I ended up blessing this girl. And it just totally got me over, got me over the hump of life. Now, I had a master's degree. I had a husband, but I was, my finances were all tied up in a house I couldn't even live in. You know, things happen to people to to set them back and block their progress in life. And so I just, I just had to um, do something extra. You know, there's some things that I found out later that there are things that people do for money that are not really good and they'll get it, but they got to pay the price and the price is blood. So because of that, finances get blocked. And so 
Anyway, I moved into this house, me and my husband, and um, I had a dream that I saw my brother. He was in torment and he was, he was that little boy again. And my parents were praying over him. And they said, uh, and they, they, they didn't know how to really help him because he'd be screaming at night all the time, like something was after him. And so I was in a dream, like a Christmas carol, Charles Dickens, a Christmas carol. I was, I went back in time because I was in the doorway of his room and, and I was really, really low in the doorway. So I knew I was like two years old, between two and three years old in this doorway. Cause I was really short. I was really, really low to the, to the bed, you know, like I was almost eye level to the single bed he was sleeping on. So I know I was really, really young in this dream. And I saw my mom and dad praying in this room, you know, over him and putting the Bible under his bed, thinking that that would help him. And it never did. And I said to myself in a dream, if my parents only knew that, that they could cast out demons out of him, he wouldn't have ended up the way he did. If that ever happened to my child, I know exactly what I'll do. So I woke up instantly after I said that, like somebody snapped me out of the dream. I woke up and that day, it was a Friday. I remember picking up, picking up my son a little bit early from daycare and enjoying, you know, our, our afternoon together. And I turned on the TV and lo and behold, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol came on and we got to the scene of the Grim Reaper. And I realized my baby shouldn't be seeing the Grim Reaper. His eyes locked in on this thing. And I tried so hard to turn, but I couldn't turn fast enough. And, and I, eventually I turned, I was like, the blood of Jesus. You know, I'm like, Lord help him. You know, I said something. I can't remember what I said. And then um, he took a nap later on. And he started screaming in his sleep, just like my brother. It was like whatever was after my brother came after my son or, or, or it was the Grim Reaper himself, death coming after my son. So my son is screaming in his sleep. I shook him. He wouldn't even open his eyes like he was locked in on this thing. He was still seeing this thing. And I started praying for him. Lord, help my child. And God said, that ain't what I told you to do. <laughs> That is like the most non-religious thing. God is not religious. He is not religious. He So I remembered in the dream, he told me to cast out demons. And I had never done this for anybody before. So I put my hand, I know I went to get some oil and I came to my child and I was like, come here. And he said, no, mommy, don't pray for me. Don't put that oil on me. And I was like, whoa, that is not my child. Because we used to pray every night. He was not afraid to pray. So why is he telling me this now? It cannot be my child talking. I jumped over that bed, cornered him, slapped that oil on that boy. And I said, come out in the name of Jesus. Come out. And he started crying. And, and then um, he calmed down and he was able to go to sleep. I was like, wow, it worked. <laughs> and then the. The next day, though, he went back to sleep and was screaming again. I'm like, man, maybe it didn't work. <laughs> I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, well, try it again. 
So I did. Come out in the name of Jesus. And the thing left. You know, he started being tormented. I was like, oh, wow. It worked. So then I went on a hunt to see if there's anything in my house that gave these this evil dream a legal right to stay. So I found my dragon. Uh, it was a dragon uh, piggy bank. From It was a mascot, the mascot from uh, my school. And so I threw out the piggy bank. I smashed that joker, got it out of the house. I didn't know if there was anything else in the house, but uh, it was, I'm sure. I just didn't know. But I tried my best to find whatever I could to throw out just to stop that thing from coming in. So yeah, my life wasn't perfect after that, but I did find pictures in the house I had to throw away. I remember praying on the side of the bed and, and uh, it was about images and God said images, images. And then boom, he started, he showed me a picture of a painting that I had in my house. It was a picture. It, it was a African, an African proverb, the ruin of a nation begins in the homes of his people. It was like speaking ruin over my house. And, and God said chaos and confusion in the home. No, he's a contention, strife and contention in the home. That's what he said, strife and contention. So I knew I had to throw that picture out. And then he threw, he pointed out another picture. You know, black people love their black art. They are really proud of their blackness, okay? And so I had my black art in my house because I was black. And now it was, I had to throw it away. <laughs> What, what what was it about the artwork itself that was bringing bad energy in? Because it was it was. And I even asked for myself because my house is covered in really interesting arcane artwork. Even though I don't feed into any particularly or consciously feed into any kind of evil or anything, I'm just interested in the aesthetics of it. Of course, of course, but. The Bible says, when a demon is cast out of a man, he goes into the dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he goes back to his house where he came from and tries to get back in. But I paraphrase. So demons will sit in objects until the opportune time when they can jump into a person. So and they and whatever's in that object can will bring in that energy. It's like a welcome mat to whatever is on the picture. So there was a picture of this black man. It looked like he had come through the, the Great Depression or slavery itself. And like his, even the cat looked sad on the picture. <laughs> and God said, despair, despair. And um, I, so I knew those pictures had to go. I threw those jokers out the next day and I felt like, a weight has been lifted off my house. It felt like it felt like I moved to Hawaii, although I was in the same house. I felt like it, I was in a completely different place. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. 
we were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it, what would you tell them? I did approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. So with that, that brings a different energy. Perhaps a lot of people, they they admire certain aesthetics, but but there is an energy there that they're not aware of. Oh yeah, somebody told me they went to somebody's house and there was a statue at the door, you know, little little short African statues, mm-hmm. and they said when they the statue was facing them when they came in the door, but when they sat down on the couch, the the statue turned around to face them. Wow. That's hilarious to me. I can't even imagine. This they were visiting somebody. So objects can hold a certain amount of energy. Absolutely. Negative, okay. negative or positive and and you know, people are mostly unaware of this. Absolutely. Yeah, people well, you know what? I do try to play the clueless role because I always like proof. I like proof. I like God to prove to me. I like God to show me. But you know, there's some things I just don't want to go through. So I'll just take it. I'll just I'll just believe it and act on it. And then just let God show me a, a somebody else who's suffering because I don't want to be the one suffering. So me casting a demon out of my child was really the first time I cast a demon out. And then later on, I got into ministry. And I was in a room trying to bring the good news of Jesus, but I started out singing and this man did not appreciate my singing. The man looked like heat miser and he had red eyes. So <laughs> he really did. So I should have known he was trouble. And uh, when he, this lady, she looked through the window and she saw him and she, it was like her eyes got big and she went the other way. I should have known something was up. So we're all in the uh, senior citizens. Uh, lounge or cafeteria area where I was trying to do my ministry and I started singing and the man walked over to me and sat down he was like 
get out of here. This is our place. Well, you don't need to be singing up in here. He was just disruptive. But before I came to the meeting, my dad t- coached me. He was, you know, this minister coaching me to be in ministry. You know, this is my calling, you know, but my dad said, okay, don't let those people run over you. Take authority, take authority. And so the man, he started cussing me out, right? And I just, I finished my little song and I walked over by him and I said, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. But then it was like something took over me. And I put my hand on his hand and I said, come out. Now, I did not even plan it. I didn't even realize I did it. But that man got up. He he went into a rage. He started, the lady that brought me, she jumped between he and myself. And she said he had red and green foam coming out of his mouth. That's disgusting. I'm glad I didn't see it. And then she she was backing me up and then somebody snatched me out of the room. They closed the door and uh, well, right before they closed the door, I saw a man tackle him. They knocked dishes off the table. It was like an old school Western. And so that ended my session. (laughs) Did anyone at that time, did anyone offer any kind of explanation outside of what you truly feel happened and know happened in your heart? No, they they blamed it on me. They said, what'd you do to him? (laughs) I'm not even lying. I, they said, what did I do to him? <laughs> so, but this is the thing. They took me out of the room. You know, the session was over. And I went and went on a tour or something through the rest of the building. But to leave the building, I had to pass that man. And coming from Chicago, you don't show fear. If you show fear, you will, you're basically inviting an attack. So I'm like, okay, I got to walk past this man. I'm like, Lord, just protect me because I am not going to back down. (laughs) So I walked right past him. He just looked at me and I just looked at him and I got out of there safely. (laughs) Yeah, but he's just unnaturally enraged. You know, there was no reason for him to get that crazy there's got to be a deeper explanation did anyone at the time feel the same way that you did and you are you kidding in places like that all they do is drug you they sedate you basically so i don't know what they gave him they probably did inject him with something who knows but uh he didn't touch me when i left so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I told my dad, hey, I, I, I went, I took authority. He said, yeah, what happened? I said, a fight broke out. He got all excited. He was all happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the Chicago in us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it was, I had, I had a second baby. God bless me. You know, so he blesses with the house. I, I got laid off my job. I got a chance to stay home with my first child. And I was pregnant with my second child. And it was just everything I wanted. The, the marriage got better later. But it was everything I wanted. So I did get what I prayed for. Sometimes you just got to hold out. Sure. And from there, then you went forward. And there were more people. There were now. Now it you know it has since become 
something regular or something that that is your calling that you're helping people eradicate this this uh, affliction or possession or however you want to look at it so what point after that the, did that really begin well when my father passed away in 2011 i had been i went to visit him it was our, our last visit our last time together right before he died and um, there is a concept in the Bible where, you know, if you're there with the person when they pass on, you get a mantle. So whatever that ministry mantle was on him, I was with him when he passed away. And I believe I got his mantle. So I was actually with him studying Derek Prince um, prayers, like curse breaking prayers. And I was just writing things down. And uh, but after he passed away, I discovered a minister named TB Joshua <laughs> and I started looking at his videos and I was like, he was like really interrogating these, these people, these, these demonic entities on these people. And it was the first time I had actually seen it, you know, cause we're now in the video age and his, his cameraman were like Maury Povich cameraman. They would be chasing people down. <laughs> <laughs> they show everything. It was raw. It was uncut and unedited. I mean, you saw everything. <laughs> it was a good, it was just like eye popping. Okay. They have since cleaned up all his videos and edited stuff out. But yeah, it was, uh, it, I had never seen anything like it, but I, I still wanted to do, I still wanted to have ministry discussions or, you know, just, I was still helping people sporadically. Just, just, you know, stories. So I, because I couldn't call my dad and tell him those things anymore, I created a Facebook page called Breaking Curses 101. I didn't know what else to call it. I didn't want it to sound like churchy. So I thought Breaking Curses would be cool. So I would post little things about, you know, Breaking Curses and, and just my thoughts and ideas, just like a blog site. And people started reaching out to me. It started inboxing me. So I started having sessions with people. Unbelievably. Back in 20, I don't know, 2012. No, it was like 2014. 2013 was when I got my own deliverance. Like God showed me how to break the curses that came into my bloodline through Freemasonry. And I think that's. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience first? I definitely want to know breaking the curse over myself. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was plagued with grief. I was plagued with a lot of insecurities. Um I had been through a lot of what molestation. Why well, say not a lot, but I had been through molestation, uh, just abandonment, you know, with my mother passing away early, not having her to, to bring me through womanhood. And um, you know, just being raised in the ghetto, that's enough. <laughs> So, and just, you know, fear of poverty and things like that. So I remember a, it was like, I don't know, a voice, but a, a thought that said, it was like four o'clock in the morning. You need to divorce yourself from Freemasonry. I said, okay. I woke up at 4.30. So I'm up at 4.30, like eyes open, still laying down. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I divorce Freemasonry. I break 
I divorced every spirit that came into me through Freemasonry, including what King Tut, Baal, and Cain, Tubal Cain. And I said, and go to the pit in Jesus' name. And I started coughing in bed. <laughs> I started coughing and coughing. My husband's like, what is going on over there? And um, and for the first time, I felt, oh, and then, okay, then I woke up when it got light. I woke up and I said, and I break the spirit of grief off of me. Grief and abandonment go to the pit. I commanded grief and abandonment to go. And I felt like I had been born again. It was at that point, I felt like I got a whole new life. So it was almost like a like a self-applied exorcism. You, yes. You- it's called self-deliverance. That's, what we, that's the term today. I couldn't believe it. I felt like I got a big do-over. And I know that's like a kiddie term. You know, when your kids are playing a game and you want to, you know, you want your own, you want to try again, your turn again. And it's called a do-over. I felt like I got a big do-over. I felt like I I had unzipped all the pain and the torment off of my life. And I stepped out of it. And it was just left there laying on the ground. I felt like a big kid all over again. That was, that was when I knew what born again meant. I would have been raised and I was in church my whole life. What year was that? Oh, yeah, 2013. 2013, I was what? Boy, that was, oh my goodness, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. Okay, so I am 56 now. That means that would have put me at 46. I lived my whole life between the age of nine and 46, being a Christian, not knowing what it meant to be born again. Thought I knew. I thought I knew, but I felt it. I felt like a whole different person. I couldn't it believe was, it. Was it almost instantaneous? Once it was instant. It and was did it, instant. Did it, did it take additional? So, okay. And then just for the people that just don't understand, essentially there are ties to you from past existences, um, family, past generations. Is, am I correct about this? Yes. Okay. And, and unbeknownst to most of us, we walk through life with those ties affecting our current life in negative ways. Do they affect us in positive ways too? Absolutely. Uh, like like before my dad died, he was just trying to do every good act he could for everybody because he wanted to make sure that his daughters were going to reap those kind acts. So I, I know I'm reaping. De- I definitely know I'm reaping those. So on those. that end, it's very positive. And, but the neg- the negative ones, how does one discover that and recognize that? And I guess, is that the first step in, in getting rid of it is to understand that you have those ties? Yeah. So I always have people look at patterns in their life. Is there a certain time of year when everything goes south? Is um, what happens every when you try to move forward? There are people who say they they have a hard time moving forward in life. Every time they take two steps forward, I mean, they take one step forward and go two steps back. Um, Just try to identify. And with a lot of um, Black women, I would say pre-2020 now, it seems like all women are having issues with marriage, but um, pre-2020, Black women were always looked down on with... um, by everybody. 
<laughs> it seems like everybody. And they always talked about why black women can't get married and all that stuff. And I found out later a lot of that ties to slavery and um, the worship of the Marine Kingdom in Africa. So I'm actually breaking those curses. Like people will come to me and say, I, I lived a Christian life and it seems like nobody even sees me. Like they, they'll have a veil over them in the spirit where men don't even see them. And then there are women who are wearing um, slutty clothes in the spirit realm. And so all men see is sex when they see them. They don't see anybody to have a relationship with. They only see them as a, as a sex object. There are women whose ancestors were prostitutes, full-blown brothel prostitutes. And they don't know why men look at them like that. But it's, it's gen, like it's generational. So, 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 okay. So in other words, what you're saying too, in a way is let's say you have ancestors that were oppressed by slavery the remedy to that, um, in so many words, would be in a way to say re- to acknowledge that, but reject that now. Don't live with that tied to you all the time. You you know you're not in that now. And I think is it because a lot of people kind of are attached to the past and that history that they feel that they allow that to kind of bog them down now. It's am I still- right about that, or am I wrong? Uh-uh. You, it's not like you're allowing yourself to look the way you look. You're born that way. You have genetics and these curses attack to your, attach to your genetics. They're passed down. Okay. The, Bible, the Bible says it like this. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So born in sin and shaped in iniquity to me is playing out as there is stuff attached to your DNA. So when I'm casting these genetic um, satanic disorders out, these satanic deities out, people are, oh my goodness, it comes out all kinds of ways. They are vomiting. They have diarrhea. Um, it's They'll have phlegm coming out. It's just all kinds of things. Like things are coming out. Some, some people just feel completely exhausted and they'll like have to run to the bathroom, you know, urine for days, like three days. Can you four take days. me? Okay, let's go because I'm I'm so interested in this. It, at the very beginning of this, someone acknowledges to you that they need help. So mm-hmm. what if you can take me through the whole process? Um, what what happens after they acknowledge that they need help? Okay, so I'll say, you know, what problems are you seeing in your life? So, um, would you, can I give you an example? Oh, can I of give course. An example of yeah, a man? Yeah, okay. So there's a man that came to me. I don't, I don't work with a lot of guys because it's hard for men to acknowledge they need help, especially to a woman. But, um, so this man, he is almost 60, not quite 60 yet. Um, Hispanic. And he had been married three different times. None of those marriages worked out. He had a girlfriend and she just friend zoned him. He's like, wait a minute, this is, this is crazy. And he had a business, but he had a brother who kind of 
took over his business, he he didn't make enough money to live on his own. And he's like, his life was stagnant. He's almost 60. He's like, I'm like, this is crazy. So he just had these. So we had a we had a session and we found out that well, he was telling me that he he had these sexual powers. He had the power to drop any woman's draws. <laughs> <laughs> so he says. No, he did. Oh, he, he did. Said, yes, he did. <laughs> he said even after he got, even after he came to church in his older age, the women were still peeling out of their clothes for him. I'm like, no, because this very thing, this very thing blocked him from actually staying married. So it worked, it worked against him, but yet he, 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 you know, you don't want to just be buying women have, you know, have a train of women coming through the house. Eventually you want somebody there taking care of you. (laughs) So we found out when, when I, when we started doing this exorcism, I'll just call it. And I don't have the notes in front of me, but it was so wild. I said, he had like King Tut on him, Ramses, um, a lot of Egyptian stuff on him. And so I said, well, how did they worship? Uh, let's say, I think it was King Tut. How did they worship King Tut? Oh, they sacrifice virgins. And of course, I get down to the nitty gritty and the, the, the nasty. I always go for the nasty. And I said, how did they sacrifice the virgins? Okay, y'all, this is kind of gross. So you can edit this out if you want to. No, no, no. This this is the Off to the Witch podcast. We welcome all stories. <laughs> okay. So they would take a woman and split her head open, basically. But they would lay her, lay both sides, you know, of the skull, I guess, out so that the brain was exposed. And they would, I think they would drain the blood. This is so disgusting. They would drain the blood and uh, and then do her hair. They would clean her up and make her look real pretty and dress her up in white. And they would split her down the middle and take out her, uh, they would take out her, I think her heart. No, they would take the brain, the brains, and they would take out her sex organs. And they so they took the brains and the sex organs, and then they would boil them and eat them. And that's why he had the power to drop a woman's draws. And, and wait, and this really, this is history. This really happened. A lot of people don't realize what you just said is a fact. That is, I see. Yeah. I'm just, I just take notes. I dig and dig and dig and try to get all the raw, nasty details. So this actually, this is what he saw in Egypt. This is what his ancestors did. But it brought in these demons. And it brought in this these demons that caused people to push him away. It would, it would cause people to turn it, like turn away from him. And, um, it just and it affected his business, of course. But I said, "How many of you all are there?" And they said, "Oh, 
about eleven thousand. He said eleven thousand. I said eleven thousand exactly, or is it a little more or a little less? And he said eleven thousand eleven. It was some some weird number like that with elevens in it, eleven eleven. And I said, "What does eleven mean?" And then he saw a clock, a stone sundial clock, and it was stuck at the number eleven. And it would cause his life to stop and start every 11 years. So his light would be going and going upward for 11 years. And then it would just completely shut down, like no progress, no nothing. And he's been living this 11 year curse, 11 year cycle since he was born. So we were able to break it. Okay, now but, something that's rooted but, so deeply like that. But wait, his life okay. took off after this. All right. His life took off. He's got contracts now. He's a contractor, HVAC contractor. His life shot up and the girl is no longer in the friend zone. He's got the girl. All right, so this guy, he had, he had a Pharaoh SETI. He had, he had King Tutankhamun, Ramses 1, 2, and 3. Um, he, I think he was a slave of Ramses. I mean, his ancestors were slaves of Ramses. He had a Nefertiti, uh, Cleopatra, Anubis, Osiris. He had some Egyptian sorcerers on him. And uh, yeah, the, so I started in on Ramses. That's where I started. And I said, what did they sacrifice to Ramses? Because I've I've dealt with Ramses on a few occasions with other men. And that's when he said they, they sacrificed the, the pineal gland, uh the pineal gland, however you say it. How do you say it? And so that's so that's what the You said it correctly. Okay, the pineal gland. As far as I know, yeah. That's what I that's what I call it. So <laughs> um man. Oh my goodness, this stuff is disgusting. Okay, I'm not going to get into the really nasty stuff. No, you can't. You know, I think it's important. It's to really... so nasty. Okay. It's so nasty. Okay. okay. It's Here important to know these details. It's okay. My gosh. He has human flesh in him because of cannibalism in his ancestry. His, Okay. Because of the cannibalism, what does that inspire him to do or did before the deliverance in his current life? He now he was just telling me these different things. Um, I didn't get to I'll get to those things in a little later. Um, OK. So. I explained to you the ritual of how they sacrificed the virgins. And oh, so it brought in pride, self-hatred, self-sabotage. It diverted him from areas where he would be prosperous. It made him feel worthless. Um, he had shackles on his hands and feet in the spirit to restrain and hold him back. It would not let him move forward. He felt stuck in mud. He actually felt like his feet had mud on him. 
and he had 10 rings, 10 to 12 rings. I can't remember, but his pinky had three rings on him. And I forget what all the rings meant. He had a horse's bridle. It restrained him from speaking. It, it caused him to hold back the truth. And it was steering him in the direction that he didn't want to go. So these are the curses that came on him as a result of, of um, sacrificing the virgins and all that stuff. Um, he also, Ramses also, I think, was a spirit spouse to him. It was really weird. Ramses was a spirit spouse to him because we saw that his ancestor, his ancestor was given as a gift to Ramses by his wife. So when Ramses, the Pharaoh, got married to a woman, this woman gave him a gift and the gift was another woman. <laughs> this is Egypt. This is straight out of Egypt. So and this woman was related to the man that I'm doing deliverance on. She was the ancestor of this man. So it caused, that's so creepy. So it caused a lot of abuse and molestation in his life. He, and he had spirit children. Now spirit children, that is a result of a spirit spouse and a person. So the spirit, he had 22 spirit children, death, destruction, ego, molestation, egocentricism, homosexuality, lesbianism, poverty, lack, self-hatred, self-doubt, incarceration, malefic maleficent, like Jezebel, um, disaster, disaster with his life, witchcraft, rebellion, Absalom. Um, I'll describe Absalom later. He had night dread, whatever that is. Hostility, anger, hatred, whoredom. He used to sell his body, basically. And uh, those are the spirit children. So those are like curses that are birthed out of the relationship from that past. That's It's all complicated, but I hope you get it. So his wealth was being hidden. We saw his wealth in the earth in Florida and New York. We saw his wealth was hidden in darkness and covered by witches and warlocks. And the legal right was he had read the satanic Bible. That was a legal right for these demons to block his money. So the powers, the, so the powers, um, he had, it was vipers. It was vipers that came in through the sacrifice of the uh, pineal gland. And so it was actually the number was 10,000, 10,000 vipers. The chief viper was a king cobra. And I said, that's when I asked, was it 10,000 exactly or a little more or a little less? And when he said 10,011, that's when the number 11 came up. It was a numerology curse or numerology stronghold. That's when he saw the sundial this, and the, the stone sundial on the number 11. And it stopped time and intellectual growth. So it stopped his life in 1982. And I think he battled drugs at one point. On the point. number 11, it stopped time. What did? How did that kind of translate into his life? You said every 11, was it 11 years? Every 11 years. Uh-huh. He didn't, I mean, 
we just kept rolling with the session. I just knew that it said his clock stopped in 1982. And so I know that that was a crack era. So I believe he was. And oh, so he had three spirit spouses. He was married to heroin, crack and cocaine. So it was not just a drug. They actually become like a spirit marriage. So, so to put this in perspective, and I'm, I want to continue for sure on, on this particular story, but just as we're as you're telling it, to put it in perspective for people who might not understand it is that simultaneously, while you're doing things in this physical existence that you're in right now, there is another, let's say, dimension, so to speak, or another realm where other things are happening that are truly affecting you and everything you're doing and influencing you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And either you're coming into agreement with it or not. If you're in agreement with it, you can't fight it. You can't fight something that you're agreeing with. And are these negative and positive forces or are they mostly negative that are affecting you from these from this other realm? Like I say, we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity and um like we're all born lost and we have to purposely choose God. But as I am breaking curses over myself and my children, their lives are going to get better. Like the things that were normally planned out for them, like prison, those curses are broken off of their lives because that's part of the curse that comes in through Freemasonry. They're required to cut themselves and and, um, lick each other's blood or some mess like that. Of course, it's supposed to be a secret, but all the secrets are revealed in my deliverance sessions. He even had something. Okay, so in the second session, in the second session, we dealt with King Tut. And King Tut was not his descendant, but he came in through an ancestral slavery sacrifice where I think a a slave was rebellious or something like that. And King Tut tormented and tortured his slaves before he killed them. I think he, I don't know if he picked a slave that looked strong. I think he picked a slave that looked strong and uh, he would torture and torment the slave. And after he would kill a slave, he would drink their blood. Now, I know this is real because I, I I cast out an Egyptian pharaoh off of another man. He told me when he was in New York, he beat somebody up or somebody was, yeah, somebody was trying to hurt him or something like that. Anyway, he beat this guy up. I think he ended up bleeding and he felt the urge to go lick his blood. This man had Ramses on him, but he was actually a descendant of Ramses. We found out during the delivery session that that he was a descendant of Ramses. And when he did a 23andMe DNA test, Ramses III showed up on his DNA test. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. These delivery sessions are better than than any DNA test. Sure. And now what happens in your in your okay, so how, 
How is it conducted? So they come, let's say for the first time, they've agreed to do this. They need your help. They want your help. You sit down in a place with the person or are they laying down? Kind of, you know, set, set me up in the room as to where this begins. So the premise is that you have chosen Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin comes with a curse. It's not going anywhere if you haven't received, you know, the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for you. Somebody's blood got to be shed for your sins. Somebody's blood. So I'd rather it be Jesus's blood than my own. Okay, so he died in place of me. So it is because of his blood that I can now operate in the spirit realm. And a person that's redeemed, we can cast demons out of a person that's redeemed, but a person that's not redeemed by the blood of the lamb, by saying, you know, I repent of my sins and I turn from my lifestyle. By If they haven't said that, then the demons have a legal right to them. That is their lot in life. And Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His demons come to, to kill, steal, and destroy. There is no neutral ground. You're either on one side or the other. There's no neutrality. And so it begins with an open mind and heart to accept Christ as you say. Gee, yeah, Jesus Christ. Because other than that, there is no salvation. Like people are basically, like, like with witchcraft, they're basically moving demons around. You're swapping them out. They'll say, you know, they're helping you, but they're really just swapping out demons. And so once they've accepted that, then that's the beginning of it. Now that you kind of have to clean all of this stuff that's been attached to them throughout their current life. How did? Yeah. Now baptism start. Baptism, I think, is designed to do that. And I, I haven't been taught that, but. When I took my son through a deliverance session once, I was interrogating these demons. And I said, when did you lose your legal right to him? And they said, when he was baptized. I was like, what? Get out of here. So <laughs> I learned. But the whole baptism, the, the premise of baptism is a death and resurrection. So your old life, you're dying to your old life. You're dying to your your old body. And you're being resurrected in Christ. And so with that death, these demons don't have a right to stay attached to you. And so, the, so these dark energies, these demons recognize when that shift of consciousness happens, let's say in baptism, if you truly have faith in it, or you're consciously getting away from it, they see that too. And it, you, you had mentioned, and I've heard this a few times in the past in regard to some of these things that it's legal for them. Like they keep, they make decisions based on something that's legal. What is that kind of, I mean, like in short, what does that really mean? Like what they won't make a move, the demons or the darker spirits won't make a move unless it's legal in their world. There are laws that govern the spirit realm. That's just like there are laws that govern the physical realm. Wow. And people think they can make up their laws and then decide where they go when they die. But I say, if you can't control where you go in your dreams, how do you think you can control where you go when you die? Yeah, I mean, how? Okay, because I, you know, learning the process. When you think about it, just think about it. 
So, um, so yeah, I don't know if I should get back into this King Tut stuff. This stuff is, I don't know. I, it's it's just, but this is wild. This this is where the, the human soul fragments come in. Now, a lot of things that I'm telling you, see, I am a Christian, and I operate under the authority of Jesus Christ. But a lot of Christians don't go this far, and they would say what I'm doing is witchcraft, and it's not. Because I have authority to operate in the physical realm, but in order for a witch or somebody else to gain authority to operate real, true authority, real power, they got to come with some blood. If you don't come to your devil with some blood, you're a joke. And eventually he's going to take your blood anyway. But uh, I come with the authority of the blood of Jesus. So you enter that, you enter that realm conscious of the the mistake that is any other practice outside of christianity and you so you're conscious of why witchcraft regardless of how benign it might be on the surface there's still problems with it big problems and people don't realize that you know every yeah, it's like it's like letting in the trojan horse you're letting in the trojan horse and you're thinking oh this is going to be fine but then one day something jumps out of that horse and it turns against you sure so so and this is a thing this is another thing like okay so what i'm doing is is super spiritual and there's a lady i tried to help she was in the philippines and she said she has done i forget what you call that um what is the practice of like going back in the ancestry. Uh, like a regression, is it? Yes, okay. past life regression. I was pulling things out. You know, I was taking her back in time. But she, she said, you know what? I've done past life regress- regression. And all I saw was the pain of the past. But this is way better because the pain is actually being um, healed. So with her, we saw... How I mean, she's she was in abject abject poverty in the Philippines, and she had married a man, and he just like stripped her of whatever wealth she had, and wealth and talent and all that. Anyway, she was just left um, just full of debt and all that stuff. But so I tried to help her. I had a session with her, and what we saw was her aunt. She saw she saw a village, and there were two chiefs. One chief wanted to worship the sun. The other chief wanted to worship the true God. And I guess they had a fight or argument and and there was a war within the village. And they killed all the believers of, of the true God. And she saw her ancestors slaughtered, slaughtered in this village. And she saw the ones that weren't slaughtered. They were um, the ones that made it out of there. They were in abject poverty and really, really bony and skinny. And, and what I did in this session was, you know, we were penitent for her ancestors doing all this stuff. Uh, we were penitent for the worship of other gods. And then we, I sent healing. I sent, it was like, it was like I raised those dead souls from the ground. Now the Bible talks about the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. I can't give you the Bible verse, but you can Google it. I was like, blood cries out. Yes, life is in the blood. The Bible says life is in the blood. When blood is spilled in the ground, it's like that soul is still there. It becomes a portal. 
Now, I guess people know this stuff who operate in those realms, but I'm just like a scientist in the spirit realm. I'm just going along with the program and writing down what I hear. But so what I'm doing is I am taking these soul fragments from the ground and releasing them. So this blood that was shed, it is being it is being held by a satanic entity that gives it power over the bloodline. And I'm taking their blood, basically. I'm taking their blood and I'm kicking them out. First, you, you got to weaken them first. So I kick them out. I, I take their blood, I weaken them, I kick them out. And then, um, and then I sent restoration for the poor souls that were looking all um, dejected and hungry and, and, and sick. And she saw like, she saw them get up and get clothed in white robes and they were no longer sick and they were healthy. And she saw them all get released to heaven. And she heard them tell me, thank you. (laughs) I was like, what? They're talking back. She's hearing them talk back. This stuff is wild. So this is not accepted in regular Christian uh, circles, but this, sure, it's, it's so it's so interesting because it's like this regression, and you're going through all these timelines. Ah, it's, yes, you're, you're, I'm going back in time, but, and I'm changing the past, and then the then the present changes instantly. Which, right, which is very, and there are many different forms of, let's say, we use the word exorcism, and and in cultures throughout history, but in comparison to, let's say, the Catholic. Uh, priest exorcism thing. They don't seem to go through any regression. They're just basically, it's very brutal. They're in, in a way, they're going after the affected person and with brutality. Does do the deliverance sessions ever hit a and you and I think they do a fever pitch to where people are losing control of their functions, screaming, <laughs> angry. Yeah, that's why I created classes because I'm tired of all of that. I'm like, I'm grateful. I, I just made a, a Facebook post. I said, I'm grateful for the classes because they allow you to scream, burp, belch, fart, poop, <laughs> twist, turn, you know, roll around and do all that in the privacy of your own home without me having to hear it. I just, I'm grateful wow. for it. I'm so you, grateful. So this has happened. Would you feel comfortable telling me a little bit about uh, a second that did go into that realm. Let's say, what was yeah. the most intense? <laughs> you I can don't speak, you don't have to say the person's name. Yeah, I don't, I don't, oh, so many. It's so many. Wow. Yeah, um, it's pretty common. It, but I stopped that. Okay, okay, but wait, let me give you an example. I said I would never do, I would never do deliverance on a person from India ever again. But um, because this lady, it was like 2015-ish and I was using Skype. So, you know, that's back in the day. And this lady, she she was like one of six sisters and she was from India, but they were living in Canada and she was about to lose her job. You know, that's always a motivating factor, finances. And she said sometimes she would go in and out of consciousness and be talking to herself and she just wanted some help. I can't even tell you all the details, but this woman, I think I think Shiva manifested Anyway, she put her hands over her head, you know, and start moving like a ginormous snake. <laughs> I was like, no, this is too much. 
she started snaking and then um and I yeah that was that was pretty amazing and I think she did it twice it was one was a little snake where she's just moving back and forth and then when she put her hand over her heads you know like in the um in the yoga position and she started snaking and that was a it was like a bigger, like a king cobra snake kind of thing that was manifesting through her. And was she hissing and and making noises um, and screaming? Oh, see, um, I'm like, I'm not trying to do all that. <laughs> no, but um, she did say after after we cast those demons out of her, she contacted her brother in India. This is the thing. Her parents brought land where they used to worship Beelzebub. They thought the land was okay because nobody had, there had been no activity on it in in years. So they bought that land, not knowing it was a, a grounds of sacrifice, you know, satanic sacrifice. And so this demon said he had a legal right to her, you know, because of the deed. And I was like, the deed? And I said, well, is there a, is there a sacrifice buried in the ground? They were like, yes. I, and I said, they said, yes, there's a sacrifice buried in the ground. And I said, we're covered with the blood of Jesus. And the woman started throwing up or something. Yeah, I think she started throwing up. <laughs> she started throwing up instantly. And the next day she contacted her brother. Like we cast, I cast the demons out of the land, out of that ground where she was born. And she said her brother reported to her the next day because he's still living on that, on that property. That, that all kind of snakes started coming out of the ground in India. I was like, oh my goodness. Now, one funny deliverance was when a lady, um, I, w- I had a little retreat. I only did wow. one, but she said, no, it was a lady who got delivered. Okay, this, this one lady, she got delivered of King Tut. She started talking in Egyptian. She was like... <laughs> All I did was pray. I'm like, oh yeah, we should start this session off with prayer. You know, I'm like, like very, very um, organized. And so I had started talking and everything. And then I was like, oh yeah, before I get into the deep stuff, let's start praying. And I said, in the Father, in the name of Jesus. And then this woman, she went, what, is it, what do you call it when you go get straight? She, when you board, what do you call it? Boarding, whatever, I forgot. Um, no, 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 no. Like, like her body just went straight. <laughs> Uh, stiff and it was it was something else um it was no it was like she got stiff stiff in this chair um like her body straightened out in the chair (laughs) and she it was yeah it was like i forget when you call it boarding or something like that but um she started humming 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 humming. and i was like what language are you speaking she said egyptian (laughs) i was like i just got started i wasn't even ready for all this and then, um, and one lady, she came in to help me because she wanted to be a deliverance minister too. And she is. Um, but we started casting demon out of this woman and uh, it was something connected to Egypt. And so that woman, when she got delivered, she could see through a wall at that point. She was, she was looking at everybody in the group. Ask her about this. Does, I see a spirit on her. I see a spirit on her. Like after she got delivered, she could see everything. So the next day she pointed out another woman and she said, Ask the woman, has she ever done yoga? So I walked over to this woman. Have you ever done yoga? And she said, yeah. And um, 
And then she started cracking her neck, you know, to each side. And then she raised her hands up and, and stretched. And then she started doing all these stretching poses and she couldn't stop. But it was lunchtime and I was hungry. And I said, you know what? You call this demon out. You need to cast it out. <laughs> and I went to lunch and I left them there. <laughs> and I ate. I came back like 20 minutes later and the woman's finally on the floor crying because she couldn't stop stretching. Wow. It's so, it uncontrollable. So you go in there prepared and protected and feeling protected and you know, some of, you find the humor in this, even though it's very real and, and happening, and you obviously you take what you do extremely seriously, you know, like let's say a detective does or, or anybody else that has to deal with some kind of trauma right before their eyes. However, was there ever a, one of these sessions that scared you? Um, scared me. Like you had a really bad feeling. There was a session where this guy started, he was cussing and he started talking about my husband. It was something weird like that, but it wasn't like, it was me and another deliverance minister trying to help another guy. And so it wasn't my session that I was in control of. So I didn't really like that. So when you were, yeah, I, when, when you're casting out these demons, does anyone ever try to get violent? with you or they kind of keep their distance and go through their own well at, you know sometimes after emotions. after a session though sometimes people will turn on me i've had people turn on me like and it's usually the people who have come out of witchcraft like if you've done witchcraft and you want to get delivered you need to be all in you can't be on the fence you can't say, oh, well, this doesn't work. You, There are deliverance ministers out there right now who are still battling witchcraft because they, they were in so deep. You're not going to be in that deep and think you're going to be delivered tomorrow and then in ministry next year or whatever, and then everything is going fine. You're going to be basically fighting stuff for the rest of your life. And so, you know, when, when it comes, but mostly you've had success with this, like most people when they go through these sessions, they have a different yeah, life. Yeah, they after. get money, they get married, they get, um, they just have peace. Oh, one lady said that her brother had given away twins. I don't know if, oh, social services might've taken them away. And she's, I know she has a lot of Native American ancestry, but when she started going through my program, those babies showed up and contacted her. So they came back afterward. Yeah, she was breaking. Cur we're breaking curses, you know, generational curses. Sure. Yeah. So, but it's ta it's taken a lot out of you, right? But you know, having especially these sessions, they're they're quite draining, and you're at a place now where you're mostly training other other ministers. Um, I can't say it's a formal training. If you are going through deliverance, you're that is your training, because this is the thing. If you think you're out there, if you're going to try to be out there helping somebody else and you still have legal rights inside of you, you're going to get your butt kicked. And that there has been backlash, you know, where people have lost loved ones because they decided they were wanted to get out of slavery. I mean, they wanted to get out of um, they wanted to get out of um, demonic torment. So like this one lady who did. She, her husband left her 
she said she'd always threatened to leave him, but he never, she never did. And he was always telling her, oh, you're not going anywhere. They have five kids together. But one day she started drinking Starbucks coffee, Starbucks lattes, and it was like an addiction. And in my ministry, we found that Starbucks carries uh, marine spirits. I mean, it does have a big mermaid as their logo, but it does bring in marine spirits, which do affect relationships. So she started drinking these lattes. Next thing I know, her husband says, I want to be single. She says, you're not single. You're plural. We have five kids. <laughs> it was cute. And um, and so we came through the ministry and we found we, when I took her through the <laughs> session, it's like she wasn't seeing anything when she was going through my classes and um and group sessions, but we had a one-on-one. And she started to see a slave ship. And she saw a captain. He was like a fir- the first mate. He was a black man. And it was a slave ship. So he worked underneath um a white, the white slave driver or whatever you call it, the slave trader who was running the ship. Well, the people on the ship were very sick and they weren't going to be good enough to sell. So the captain decided he wanted to burn up the whole ship. And he told the first mate to set the ship on fire. I believe the ships were insured. That's where life insurance came from. I believe they insured the lives of slaves. So if they didn't make it to shore, the people would get some kind of money. Anyway, they set the first mate set the ship on fire, but the catch was his wife was on board. His wife and his mother were on board. He ended up killing his wife when he set the ship on fire. This woman heard the man speaking and he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. She's hearing him beg and plead with her. I'm like, that, that's crazy. <laughs> but she heard it. She's telling me what she's hearing during the session. So we, she basically had to um, repent on his behalf for what he did. And I don't know, I, I make it up as I go along. It, like everything happens in my imagination. My imagination realm is the spirit realm. So I forget how, what I did to bring them back together in the spirit realm. But um, we broke the curse release all the bodies from the ground, from the ocean, I mean, and um, cast a demon out of her. Well, her husband did come back home, but her mother died. And I know it was some kind of backlash. But after her mother passed away, her husband did come back home. But it was like collateral damage because I'm going so far back in the ancestry that it's, it will it rocks not just a person, but everybody that's a descendant of that ancestor who made that original contract. So it's just it's a lot. And so it's it's, it's a like lot this guided. It's well, it's a regression, and then you're going back in your mind's eye and cleaning this situation. And while that's happening, right. there might be physical reactions in this realm from the person. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. So I've had testimonies uh, where a woman went through my financial deliverance class 
with her friend who's in my program. The woman's not even in the program, but her friend is. So she went through my class and the next day, the next day, her grand, her father and grandmother received a total of $16,000 transferred into their bank accounts with, with the promise that they're going to be getting their uh, monthly benefits. And they have been contending for these benefits for over 20 years. So coming back full circle, and again, not to give too much away, because I understand that it is it is your world and, and some secrets have to be kept for the actual sessions and everything, but essentially it's to clean up, coming full circle now, because we have talked about it, but it's to clean up past and otherworldly attachments that are affecting you in this timeline negatively. And then- and, and a lot of people feel mysteriously, well, with everything I do, why have I not been able to get forward? They just don't realize it. And perhaps the influences that are making them do certain things are keeping them back. And Exactly. Especially like, especially with people doing witchcraft. I mean, I'm assuming that anybody who's listening to Off to the Witch is, you know, okay with the concept not of Not everybody. Off to the Witch, essentially, there are some episodes about witchcraft and I've interviewed people, alleged witches, but to me, off to the witch means kind of out of the ordinary, arcane and off the wall. And so that could be applied to a lot of different things, in my opinion. And that's where I'm coming from. It, it, it can be. It can be. But I would, I would assume that the audience, you know, you have to have some kind of affinity you know, for that. So people coming, there are people who do, do love spells. I found out a love spell was actually affecting me. Um, but we found that people who have done love spells, they've actually brought in spirit spouses over their lives. And sometimes, you know, those, those spirit spouses torment their relationships instead of, instead of help them. So I found a love spell that happened against me, or it was a, my grandmother. Somebody did a, somebody did a curse on her because they were, it was a great grandmother great, great, great or great, great grandmother. They thought she was just beautiful and they, they were jealous of her. So they put some kind of a curse on her and that curse was affecting me. Cause if you curse somebody, you basically cursing everybody that, that comes out of that person. So I had to break that curse. Uh, it was, it was my great grandmother's friend who did this to her, who was jealous of her. It's always a people close to you that's jealous of you and you don't know it. And their jealousy manifests as some kind of green slime in the spirit realm that physically affects your life. So, but they said it was green and it was slime in the spirit realm. It's actually a substance like the spirit realm. I see the spirit realm is very real. I look for, I, I look for the mechanisms the same type of mechanisms that operate in the physical, I look for them in the spiritual. What would you recommend to people who, you know, have listened to this episode? You know, we're on, we're almost at the final minutes of the second hour here. And um, I think it, we've gone through a lot of good things. What would you say to people out there who are, are very intrigued and want the help? Should they contact you? Um, would, you know, is there something they can do on their own or will you teach them that? Yeah, I have a whole, uh, I do have a Facebook group where people can come and just ask questions, but I have a mentoring program because 
the premise in Christendom is that you only need one deliverance session. And, you know, basically you got people looking for the great Oz <laughs> to, to deliver them. And then, you know, they want to go live happily ever after. They don't know this is it's repetitive and ultimately you need to learn authority. So I help people get delivered and then I teach them authority. So I have a mentoring group and you can find me at breakingcurses101.com. And if you're deciding you want to get out of that whole practice, it's like getting out of the mafia. They don't just let you go. They come after you and, and you can get a level of freedom and feel like you're fine. And then you've got, it's like going through an operation and, and the tool's been left inside of you. Or it's, it's always some, something that you haven't cleaned up. You need to be on your face, you know, crying out to God and just really willing to turn away from, turn away from sin, what the Bible calls sin. And it's just a lot of cutting yourself off from people. And a lifestyle cleaning house, um, but it, it is it is possible to be free. It's possible to live a life of peace and torment. Like people come to my ministry who have poltergeists, and these are Christian people. Like just because you're Christian, say you're Christian, and give your life to Jesus, doesn't mean everything just goes away. So people come to me with poltergeists, and I've had to cast them out. There are people who have ancestral. Um, I mean, people coming out of cults who have soul fragments of witches inside of them that I've had to cast out and now are living in peace. There are people who come to me with vampires and things like that, and I've had to cast them out. People who got caught up into deliverance ministries thinking they were real deliverance ministers when they were actually warlocks who were sacrificing children and eating them for power. And I've had to uh, get them free from that so that their finances will start coming in. So I'm, I'm really happy, you know, at the progress that we get. But the mentoring really is what puts people over the top because you need more more help because you're going to get backlash. You're just going to get it. So. Yeah. And a lot of people that I've known that have had faith over the years, you know, they describe even their childhood homes that were very religious had a lot of those things that you're discussing, whether it be some kind of entity attacking in the middle of the night, um, sexual attacks by things that they said were not human, um, to poltergeist, things like that. I've spoken to a lot of people over the years, and some of the most religious families were the ones that were attacked the most, or at least that's what I've heard. If you know, putting together the numbers of people that I've heard over the years, they were from very religious homes. Why do you think that is? You know, why is it that people with faith are, are attacked the most? It's a war. It's a war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and wickedness. And that's what the Bible says. Um, if Satan can't control you and get you to work for his kingdom, then he wants you to he wants to rob you because People are making satanic contracts all the time. And I'm and, and Satan can't give you anything. He has nothing to create. He has nothing to give. He has to steal it from somebody else. So what I'm doing is helping people. I mean, so so the average Christian basically 
they have gifts. I mean, they, they have a light and Satan's coming after that light. He roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You don't have to have any reason for him to attack you, but the more light you have, the more talents and gifts that you have, the more he wants to take from you. You know, and then, okay, so kind of moving into the end here, and that makes sense. How, what is your perspective on the afterlife? And then I can get to my last question, but what, how do you feel about the life after this physical existence? Where, where do we go? Well, the Bible tells us, you know, there's a heaven and a hell. And it says, um, after, after we live this life, we're going to be judged. And some people actually have near-death experiences where they see Jesus and, and they go through the judgment, but they get another chance. Um, I just believe the Bible. And the soul, it says, the soul that sinneth, he shall die. So I know that I can't live a life of sin if I want to make it into heaven. So I live a repentant life. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That means I have to repent all the time. And just, so I've separated myself from a lot of things so I can make sure there's no distractions and no, um, no, nothing alluring me, you know, to live a life of sin. But even, even in ministry, you can get, you can get, um, you can get idolized. You can be made a, an icon and it's still, you still have to resist those things. So anyway, like I, I said, I'm just, you're not in until you end. <laughs> you're not in. I don't care. There, there are different theologies that say um, once saved, always saved. I ain't taking no chances. <laughs> That's a yeah, joke. No, but each, yeah, exactly. Each, well, each step comes with its own temptations and its own temptations to stray off the path that you've set for yourself, the one that is the best the one that keeps you out of trouble, essentially, um, it happens. You know, we're human. Um, I guess the, the trick is to refine it and stay strong, no? Yeah, you can only stay strong by staying in, in the Bible, in the Word of God, and in the fellowship of other believers. And what I mean by believers is, for me, I, I can't even be around regular Christians. <laughs> I got to be around Christians who really believe in casting out demons. Because I just know, I know that I came, I, I think I come from an ancestry um, that's connected to King Tut and definitely King Tut. And so there's a lot of witchcraft in my ancestry. Plus I'm Cherokee. Cherokees, they are descendants of Egyptians and they did, they worshiped everything under the sun, including the sun. <laughs> so I know I come from an ancestry of idolatry cannibalism, witchcraft, and all that stuff. So I've just dedicated my life to just staying right here and fighting all of it and helping people fight it. That's just my lot in life because I'm never going to live a normal life. It's just not going to happen. Amen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, my final question is, I'm aware that you do believe, like I do, that we retain our consciousness or our soul after this physical death. So, and, and there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's however you feel it should be answered. What will you take with you when you cross over? 
Um, I am going, first of all, everything I'm doing for the Lord here, I'm going to get rewarded for. Hebrews 11, 6 said, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I know I'm going to get rewarded for what I'm doing here. And uh, there are different people who have seen things, you know, in heaven, like houses that you get and things like that. I've had both of my kids have gone to heaven and they've seen they've seen heaven. One of them saw the houses. They were made out of gold bricks. He saw God's palace. He saw angels. He saw the river of life. And so I've gotten a little insight, you know, that this stuff really is real. And um, just you don't take anything physical with you. It's all spiritual. So I, fo- I focus on the spiritual, not the, not the physical. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano. And I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight with an open mind. So much of our existence is unexplained and will certainly remain that way, leading to the conclusion of our lifetimes. It seems that the metaphysical can teach us another way. But be careful, for what we don't understand might have teeth and certainly could bite. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight.